Welcome to the Everyday Lions podcast. I'm your host, Brian Lyons. It's been a crazy week this week. I've only just started off uh, my practical work placement for my diploma of community services. I've been at number 34 Aboriginal Health Centre in Alveston. I've had three days there this week. I'm going to be there for the next two and a half weeks. Once I complete my placement and three or four assignments, I'll be finished my diploma. Everyone's been so lovely there and I'm learning so much. And it just probably um, confirms that I do want to work in community services and I can't wait to start my degree after finishing here. Uh, Also, in other news, Everyday Lions is just about to start some interval training in Alveston. At this stage, it'll be at 5.30 on a Tuesday, and it'll be in all different locations in Alveston. If you'd like to know more information, head over to www.everydaylions.org and get in touch with me, and I'll tell you a little bit more about it. I also have visors available. These are about a week before they arrive. They're $25 each, and they have the Everyday Lions logo on them. And yeah, they'll be coming in about a week's time. So if you want to know more about those, uh, you can you can check out what they look like on www.everydaylines.org also. Recently in my own life, I've probably had a lot of anger build up over a few incidents that have happened. I've tried to put my recovery first in staying sober. That's my number one priority here. And I've probably doubled my mindfulness efforts. I don't deal with anger that well and for me the mindfulness has been a calming effect and something that I can go to so I don't totally lose it. Uh, I think this saying sums up what I've probably been going through. One of the hardest lessons in life is letting go, whether it's guilt, anger, love or betrayal. Change is never easy, we fight to hold on and we fight to let go. I think for me that's probably summing up what I'm going through at the moment. But uh, I just got to keep on pressing on and, and be um, happy with where my life is. I'm nearly, nearly 11 months sober and I'm super proud of that. Um, it's been a long time since I've been sober that long and this is what I need to do to press forward and, and keep my sobriety number one and in the forefront for me. In other news, don't forget to check out Ross Running Festival. This is in the second week of October. They have events over 10K, 21K and 42K. And I know Tracy would love to see your smiling face there and also the community of Ross would love your business. On Wednesdays, don't forget about Runforia. I know Beck would love to see you along to that as well. That is 20 minutes out and 20 minutes back at quarter to six. And it has lots of different locations and courses, but they meet at the bluff. To this week's guest. This week's guest is Mick Gunson. I've known Mick for about 20 years. He was in my first coach. Uh, he probably coached me for 10 years since I was about four, probably 13 up to about 24. Mick is a fantastic human and coach. He does so much for running on the northwest coast of Tasmania. Some athletes that you may be familiar with that he's coached over the years are Nicole Perry, Aaron Humphrey, and Dion Kenzie, the para-Olympian. 
Uh, he, he just does so much for the sport. Um, he has been the president of Athletics Tasmania, the president of SCAT, which is the body who are con- who in control of the carnivals on the northwest coast of Tasmania. Uh, he's been the race director of Devonport Triathlon, been heavily involved in Run Devonport. Uh, Mick's a really intelligent guy. He grew up in the 80s and 90s and was part of that really successful Devonport running crew and used to run with a few guests on the podcast that we've already had, Steve Oliver and Viv Woody. And yeah, he's just a brilliant bloke. I really enjoyed this podcast. If you enjoy it, please reach out to Mick. I know that he would love that because he just loves the sport of running. We talk about some of the overseas races he's been to spectate at. We talk about that 80s and 90s running group that he ran with, his job as a president of Athletics Tasmania, and lots of other things. Uh, Mick's a very busy guy. I appreciated his time. If you enjoy it, please reach out to Mick. I know that he would love that. Until next time, I've been your host, Brian Lyons. This is the Everyday Lions podcast, and happy running. Here's Mick. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Everyday Lions podcast. I'm your host, Brian Lyons, and this week's guest is Mick Gunson. Mick is from Devonport. He's an ex-runner. He's coached for over 30 years. He's been the president of Athletics Tasmania and the Tasmanian Athletic League. And he's coached well-known athletes, Nicole Perry and Dion Kenzie. Are you there, Mick? I am, Lionsy, mate. I'm here. That's great. How has your day been? Been good. So far, looking after the grandchildren, so it's always good fun. Fantastic. And how old are they? Uh, look, Fern's just headed off to kinder, so she's four. And little Huey, I'm still looking after him, mate. He's one and a half. Keeps me wow. active. <laughs> yeah, awesome age too. <laughs> okay, cool. And did you did you want to give a little bit of an introduction how you actually got into the running for the people listening? Yeah, look, I was, I was thinking about that the other day when I uh, you indicated to me, and my memory of this is that I've always run. Uh, look, even back as a primary school kid and a high school kid, I I just ran a lot. I um, Spent uh, most of my high school years at uh, Maris College as a boarder. So we had plenty of time, mate. So uh, we used to run regularly. And uh, w- when I left high school, I kept running. I ran at university. But t- to me, it's always just been part of my life. I, uh, I was born to run, I think. Yeah, great. And would you say that you're a natural runner? Was it something that you just picked up and you are better at than other kids? or? I think I, uh, I I was a, a naturally aerobic runner. Uh, on the other side, I was not a very good team player and I, I didn't have very good uh, hand-eye coordination. So my ability to play football and cricket and tennis and so on was fairly limited. I was pretty average there. But the one thing I could do is uh, is run. And, yeah, great. Uh, so it was a, look, it was a, it, it's always been a really good tool for my life. Uh, I've enjoyed it. Uh, it's great for... As you, yeah, we all know for stress release, for just enjoying life. So it's always been part of my life. Great, great. And you mentioned that you were running at university. So what were you studying at university? Uh, I uh, became a school teacher, um, a secondary school teacher, and mainly in maths and science area. So I did that as a career. Uh, I had a great career. I loved it. I loved every minute. And uh, I look back on life now and I, 
I wouldn't have changed anything, Lindsay. Uh, I could have gone back and think, well, could I have done things differently? But no, I, I had a, a great career. I enjoyed, enjoyed my career as a teacher. I'm sort of fully retired now and enjoying retirement. Good. No, it's not an easy job, mate. My parents are uh, both ex-teachers, so I know how much work goes into being a teacher. You almost have to be a counsellor as well sometimes. Uh, it's a lot of fun, though. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. A lot of rewards in it. That's great. And so did you come back to the Northwest Coast after studying university? And this is where, did you run in Devonport, like a group that you had or some mates you well, used to make with? Well, after uni, we were, strangely enough, we were sent to uh, our first post, myself and my wife, Belinda. We went to uh, Queenstown for a couple of years and I actually enjoyed running down there. It was pretty lonely. Very few people in Queenstown ran. But the trials uh, and the bush trials and the uh, option to run there were just absolutely stunning. And so I really enjoyed that, uh, a lot of fun. Then I moved up to the northwest coast here and I, I took up running a little bit more seriously, even though I'd run fun runs and all sorts of other things before that. And you know, I had a great group of people to run with here and uh, sort of really enjoyed the, the uh, I, I guess, the... Um, the, the group running here. I mean, Devonport, as you know, has got a wonderful culture of running. Uh, over the years, the number of great athletes out of here, not including me by any means, but certainly <laughs> there are. It's, it's just got a, a magnificent culture for running in Devonport here. And, and certainly the, you know, the geography of Devonport, of our paths and our beaches and the Don Reserve and all the bits and pieces in and around Devonport, you, you probably couldn't get a better place in Australia. Uh, if you wanted to be a runner, whether you wanted to be a, a Vivian Woodward and Lee Taylor, or you just wanted to be an average, good, solid runner, it's just a, a wonderful setting and, and got the right culture about it too. Yeah, oh, I think you've nailed it, mate. Did you, were you part of the PCCC when that was? No, look, I did very little PCCC running. I, I mean, I think I ran about 70, 80 races with them, but it, it wasn't sort of really my interest. I, I enjoyed it and I was, I, was, I was part of it and had some fun there. Um, but but I, I, uh, I was one of those runners lines. I had uh, absolutely no speed, <laughs> none whatsoever. <Never. laughs> uh, but I uh, I did have endurance, and so I was looking for more more towards long distance running, um, you know, marathons, half marathons, trail running, um, uh, and, and things like that, and things like three peaks. I did a couple of those and bits and pieces, but. When I say it was a great place to run, it was when I was running there in and around Devonport. You know, we, we had some tremendous athletes. Now, you know, guys like Vivian Woodhood, I mentioned, but also Lee Taylor, Trevor Keating, and amongst the women, uh, Andrew Rippon was a, you know, a very good, very, very good 10-kilometre, 15-kilometre runner, one of the best in Tasmania and certainly ranked in Australia. So while I didn't train a lot with uh, Vivian and Lee and uh, Trev, we had a lot of time with them, but uh, I had a group of guys that I ran with, mainly guys like Steve Oliver, Johnny Jarman, Chrissy Grange, Scotty Russell, Steve Jacobs, Malcolm Wells. Whenever you'd go out in the morning, within, you'd run three kilometres, all of a sudden you'd pick up four, five, six, seven, eight guys. And you know, Susie Russell would sometimes be there, Theo Thayer, brother, and a few other people there. And we'd go for a 12, 14k run most mornings, and you know, you'd pick up and drop off just a heap of people. Yeah, um, always someone out there. Probably the guy I trained with the most, would you know well, is Steve Oliver. Uh, Steve and I trained a lot together. We lived very close to one another. Yeah. And if yeah. I wasn't out of bed, Steve would be banging on the window telling me to get out. So, <laughs> so <laughs> we had a lot of fun. <laughs> That's a really solid group. So, like, I actually only had Viv on the show this week. Yep. And he was saying that there was close to maybe 10... 
15 runners who could break 15 minutes at the time and and which is amazing when you think about it in a population of I don't know what would have been 15,000 back then Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I remember watching a uh, or being part of a race that uh, the professional five-kilometre uh, cross-country race that was around Meercroft Park there, and uh, you know, three guys, uh, Frankie Shevlin from Victoria, a great athlete, Frankie and Lee and Witty, that they broke there on that course there with four right angles every every lap. They broke 14 minutes. You know, 13, 58, 59, 59. So there's for. That was a, uh, we go back to the uh, PCCC day, and they used to have a, um, a back markers race and a front markers. And the back markers race was about 25 in there. And I was the slowest to get into it. I was last in, and I was a 16-20 yeah. runner. You know, yeah, I was last in. So yeah, they were right. Woody was right, the number of great athletes around. So Woody and Lee gave me about 150 metres start and beat me by about 450. But it was fun. It's been yeah, part yeah. of it. Well, it's one of my personal favourite courses. I just love it around there. It's, uh, so you mentioned that you were in the Three Peaks race. Did you want to unpack that a little bit for me and uh, tell me the years you competed and what? Yeah, I didn't compete that many times, but the very first one that I competed in was with Lloyd Thebe from over at Burnie. And we were in a, uh, a very good yacht and we, it was amazing time but the weather was really rough and so for those who don't know you sail to Flinders Island we do about a, I think it's a 70 60 70 kilometer run there then we went out on the boat and you've only got three sailors and two uh, runners and uh, when things get tough the runners have got to get up and help the sailors sailors don't ever help the runners but anyway that life was uh, was, was really uh, very very uh, wild and uh, pretty pretty tough but Lloyd and I had a really good time and we're always either in first or second position. We got to Hobart and um, we were in um, second position. And uh, Lloyd had done it the year before and uh, we, we were both convinced that the course, between the two of us, we'd looked at the maps and everything, we were both convinced it was the right way to come down. So we ran all the way to the top of Mount, <laughs> Mount Willardon after having done the Stress Lecky Mountain also, got all the way back in the town. And we're told we'd gone the wrong way. <clears throat> we're supposed to have come down the road. Oh, so my. I had to turn around, run back to the top of Mount Wellington, <laughs> and uh, then come down the right way. So we'd done, you know, a huge run on Flinders Island, a big run around Fraser, and then basically did the summit of uh, Wellington twice. We still came second. And I'm pretty sure the two guys <laughs> in front of us, even though they only had about a four or five minute lead on us. I'm, I'm, you know, they would have beaten us anyway. I don't think we're ever going to catch them. They're two very, very good runners. I can't remember who they are at this stage there. But wow. it took a, it took a pretty amazing toll on me. I'd struggled to eat on the on the voyage, and at the end of it, it was the first time, the only time. But I was actually uh, the doctors got me, and uh, I was uh, placed in the sort of uh, for a couple of hours. I couldn't leave. I was hallucinating for you know, probably the next 12, 14 hours. Apparently, that happens when you run out of all forms of energy. You've, you've exhausted your fat reserve, you've exhausted all, everything else there, and you actually start to, to use protein. So you're almost eating your own body. Oh, and, uh, yeah, it smacked the hell out of me, and I didn't ever really recover from that for about four or five years. Knocked the, knocked the hell out of me. Great experience. Loved every minute of it. It was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, this is just what happened. It was just a bit too hard. But wonderful, wonderful experience. So you did the four peaks, mate, instead of the we three. Did the four peaks. Uh, Lloyd was okay. He, he handled. He went on to about another fifteen, I think. Uh, Lloyd Beebe. He was a pretty tough character. Wow. And you mentioned that you 
that you didn't recover for four years. Is this when uh, your coaching came into play? Yeah, well, look, during that period of time, I'd done a lot. I'd, I'd had a great time. Uh, I'd done a lot of marathons and three, I'd done the three peaks and Otway uh, classics and stuff. And, you know, look, uh, I was just working very hard. But I did get smacked around pretty hard. And I guess it was part of the, the reason. I'd always had an inkling I would like to coach because, look, I was a good club runner. Uh, that's why I thought of myself as a very good club runner. But I wasn't uh, a top-end runner by any means whatsoever. And probably two things did it. One was uh, a guy called Brian Appleby. Uh, I don't know if you know Brian, but he was an amazing runner. And one year he wanted to, to go really well in the carnivals, and he was a very good runner. And just asked me to join him in pre-season uh, just to help him and uh, to be a training partner with him. And Brian set the, the, the programs and everything. But the interesting thing was he had a different model. Up until then, all my running had been long, slow, junk kilometres lines. I uh, never ever done a rep session in my life. And Brian was really quite different. And, uh, and, and that opened my eyes to different models and different ways of, of running. And Brian was very, very successful that season. And I enjoyed being part of it. And uh, yeah, he probably put me on the pathway to, you know, to think about the different things you can do in running. I also at Don College and uh, a couple of young athletes there were showing some potential. And so I started coaching them also. And probably the first one of those was a guy called Dean Wells. Yeah, yeah Wells, he wasn't bad. <laughs> I yeah, mean, he yeah. ran second in the Bernie Miles, a 16-year-old. Um, I think Kim Gillard only just beat him. It was a wet, heavy day. Yeah, wow. And I think he ran about 156 as the 15 or 16-year-old for 800. Yeah. An athlete. Went on to become a horse trainer. Yeah, um, okay. Is he, I don't know him that well. Like, I only know him because my brother used to always finish second to him at the end of high. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only reason I know him. But, um, so, you started coaching these few athletes and these juniors. Yeah. When did you really make the transition and go... Yeah, this is what I want to do. Or did it? Or was it a slow? Oh, it was a slow one. I still kept doing a little bit of running, but by that stage, my interest in uh, competing had probably gone. I uh, wasn't really that interested anymore, and, and the love of coaching sort of took over. And I wanted to be a coach that uh, coach and not a, a not a sort of a playing coach, not not running with them. And that's okay. Some people do that, but my my model was more to to, to be a coach and stand and watch and observe and and set the programs and stuff. And, and I guess I, I really am a, a track coach. Uh, well, I, I, you know, some of the, often, often me and my athletes do run uh, the road and uh, whatnot. And a few of them have coached a few for marathons and stuff like that. But my great love is the actual track running. And uh, certainly I do want to be running with them. So then I made that transition uh, to being a, basically a full-time coach, probably, you know, the early 90s. And uh, and then I just wanted to do that from there there on in. And I kept myself, I still keep reasonably fit. I don't run anymore, but I still keep reasonably fit, still walk on a regular basis. But, um, and I have that great love for track. If I had to define myself, I'm, I guess I'm, I'm a, a coach who enjoys coaching from 400 through to 1500, mainly. Uh, yeah. But you know, obviously I've got athletes who, I've got sprinters and I've got you know, more distance runners, but that's, I reckon the 1500, the 800 are great events to coach. Yeah, and I—I I mean, you coached me for a number of years, and I was similar to you. I didn't have a lot of speed, but it's something that I really had to work out. I still don't have a lot of speed now, but um, doing reps with Davo wasn't real good, was it? 
No, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, especially when someone can run 47 and you probably run about a 62. <laughs> and, and you said that you're probably coaching since the early 90s mm-hmm. and you've coached a lot of athletes. Yep. Who are some of your most memorable runners that you've coached over the years? Oh, look, I mean, there's it, just so many good ones. I mean, we talked about Dave a minute ago. Nick Davison was an amazing athlete. Uh, look, I understand he couldn't make his into high side until about grade nine. And by the time he was 18, I should say he was running 47 seconds for 400 and uh, 52 seconds or 52 high for four hurdles. Went on to become a, a, a really good athlete, raced in Europe, uh, quite a bit, worked with Yana Pittman and um, Kingy for a long period of time. I think with, a, you know, I mean, in, and he's gone on to do wonderful, wonderful things in life, Nick has, as we know, he's yeah. an amazing man, but certainly a, a guy who just uh, was just an amazing 400 metre, 400 hurdles runner. Daphne Holland uh, from Devonport High got him started in the hurdling part, so I acknowledge her, her role. She was a wonderful technical coach. Uh, and then he came along to us and really wanted to focus on 400 running. So yeah, he was good, but then yeah, I mean, in amongst that, there's just yeah, I mean, just just some really good a- athletes there. Um, Dion Kenzie, of course. Uh, yeah, Kenzie was 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 has you know, as we know, I mean, a wonderful athlete, a power athlete, a world champion, uh, Olympic uh, gold, uh, Olympic silver medalist, uh, a guy who trains immensely hard. Um, you know, yeah. with cerebral palsy. Uh, he's a tough ass tough, isn't he? Yeah, and uh, couldn't be prouder when, uh, what in London in 2017, he picked up a silver, just got beaten by um, Michael McKillop, probably the greatest para uh, distance runner of all time. Uh, Mike just picked on the line for the 800, and he backed up five days later and just destroyed them in the 1500. Yeah, so yeah. working with Ken's and taking a para young man who, you know. Found life tough. He wanted to play footy. I think uh, his great love would have been to play AFL footy, but he just didn't have the coordination because his, his, his cerebral palsy uh, yeah. to find a pathway for him and uh, to do it. And uh, uh, you know, it, 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 it's just great. And but you can't teach that in a run. What he has that that toughness and yep. being able to push yourself and actually because that's a oh well, this is my belief. I reckon that's a talent in itself, and not every runner has that. Oh, no. No, you're correct there. That's right. And yeah. look, you know, look, I always remember Jimmy Hansen at the Burnie Mile four or five years ago. Uh, he caught uh, he, he caught Ken, you know, with about 150 metres to go. He just said, he's a 404, 1500 metre runner. I'm a, you know, I'm a 338. I couldn't get past him. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing. And I've trained next to Ken's and just like I've probably slipped into a couple of sessions and he's so tough. Like, yeah. Won't give in. No, no, and that's what you want from an athlete. You want someone who's finished and know that they've given everything. So, well, he may be that, you know, like uh, Nick is probably the, uh, the most talented, uh, Kent is the toughest, but the most professional, of course, is you know, Nicole Perry. I've coached Nicole for 17, 18, 19 years now. I've never seen a more professional athlete, uh, just an amazing athlete. Still this year was the state 400 metre champion, state 800 metre champion. And, uh, the thing I like about her, she, 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 she's just an amazingly professional athlete. I never believe people when they tell me they haven't got time for something. I say, well, you know, you look at Nicole, she was up in Cairns for five years after going back to Don College at the age of 23 so she could become a dentist, goes to Cairns, works two or three nights a week as a nurse to pay for it because no one else is paying for it, goes to university all day as a dentist and one of the hardest courses you can do and still slips in on just a lazy 10 training sessions a week. Um, 
So when people tell me they haven't got time or they're too busy, I go, nah. If you want to do it hard enough, you can do it. And, we, you know, you've known Nicole all your life. Uh, amazing professional athlete, isn't she? And it's done oh, one of the things. Not only that, it's, it's, it, it's what she brings your running stable, mate. Like, you can tell that other runners in that stable look up to her. And she's such oh, yeah. a role model. And you couldn't ask for more of an athlete to do that for other runners coming up. And, well, this is the way, this is the way we do it. Mm. Yeah, and she sets a standard. He said, yeah. no shortcuts. If you train it for the coal, no shortcuts. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. She's great. But in amongst that, you know, there have been some other great athletes there. And some, you know, I mean, the John O'Allen, we all know how great John O'Allen was when he was in and about there. Could have been anything. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing yeah. young man. I've enjoyed him there. Uh, you know, Neil Finlayson, you might remember Neil many years. I mean, she had a great little, little career, Neil. Uh, Ashley Corbett was a you know, great sprinter. Uh, you know, won a couple, won a Latrobe gift and a second Latrobe gift and a Hobart gift and a few other things there. But it's, and of course, you know, one of the best of all time, mate, was little Carl Adams. Uh, coach oh yes, yeah, years. definitely. <laughs> did you? Not, yeah, did you want to tell the listeners a little bit, a bit about um, him? Well, uh, yeah, but Carl Adams was great. I think he started training within grade six or grade seven, but trained all the way through to the end of uh, year 12 and then half of year 13. And uh, during that period of time, was just the toughest uh, athlete you could see, a bit like, uh, a bit like Kent, really focused, uh, very, very dedicated and very focused. But then went on, as we know, he won quite a few uh, Australian championships over 3,000 metres and particularly over three. 2,000, 3,000 metre hurdles, or steeple as it is, uh, great steeple chaser, and then went off to university in, um, in the USA at Adams State, one of the Division Two school, but probably one of the best distance schools, distance running schools, Div 1 and Div 2. And there's a guy who now has run 802 for 3,000 metres, he's run, what, 840 for 3,000 metre steeple. Last year came second in the NCAA Division Two cross country. Uh, very hilly, grassy cross country, around about 2940 or something. Yeah, right. <laughs> An African guy finished in front of him and three Africans behind him. So, yeah, you know, Carl, we know, is just an amazingly tough athlete, wonderful young man, and yeah. he's had tremendous experience in America. Very loyal, always comes back. I mean, a couple of years ago, he came back for Christmas. Uh, I think he landed, uh, flew out from, uh, from America, landed in. Launceston at two o'clock was a training at four o'clock, you know. Wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I said, have you just got home? <laughs> got to train, got to train. Yeah. Um, so Carl's just shown what you can do. With, you know, wonderful education in America, everything paid for. He's uh, had a wonderful career and, uh, yeah, great, great young man. And uh, still, I think with, uh, well, you know, he had the potential, maybe an outside chance of picking up a spot on the Australian team for the uh, steeple next year at the Olympics probably been good the, the delay of one year for Carl. I mean, I think the qualifying time, uh, the IWF qualifying time is uh, 8.36 or something. Well, Carl hasn't done much steepling in America. I think he, last year he ran 8.40 something. So he's only you know, half a dozen seconds off. So, you know, if he comes back, he finishes university this year. Yeah, there's a chance there for him to pick up a spot. Yeah, great. And... And I hope he can, because it's been so good to watch his progression from a junior to a man now, I guess. Mm. And he's so intelligent as well. I know the conversations that I've had with him. I've always walked away and gone, yeah, there's, there's something there. So <laughs> Very dry, isn't he? Yeah, he's got yeah, a dry humour. I love him. 
Yeah, yeah, but like he's got that that work ethic too, and he knows that it's just not running. He knows that he has to do his study, and after running, there needs to be something there for him. Yeah. Now, I don't know what he's going to do. He's got to make some decisions this year. I think he'd like to stay in America and, and continue his professional running career a little bit longer, see what happens. And then, like you say, he's probably likely to come back to Australia and go to Monash or Melbourne Uni or something and continue on with his with his education. But, yeah, top guy. Just can't. Yeah. Even with the stupid hair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, there's nothing wrong with coloured hair, Mick. <laughs> ah, no, no, of course there's not. <laughs> <laughs> and so you, you've done the running, you've done a little bit of coaching. How did you get into the race organising? Well, look, that, uh, it's an interesting thing. Look, there was a group of us who were running uh, many years ago and strangely enough, one of the guys, Chrissy Graham, had been to... Uh, had been to the mainland and seen a thing called a triathlon. And so Chris came back to Tasmania, back to Devonport, and sort of talked to us about it. And so with Chris and Royce Fairbrother, Pete Gabsey, Malcolm Wells, and a few others, Trevor Keating, I think, was involved originally too, uh, we decided to put on a, uh, the Devonport triathlon. And, wow. uh, you know, 37, 8, 38 years, it, it's, still, it's still going. I, I, have, I help out now with Mike Bonney, uh, Lockie's dad. I help, yeah. still help out. I think I'll be helped out every year. But uh, at one stage there, you probably remember, it was one of the very, very best triathlons in Australia. Things have yeah. changed a little bit, but uh, I really enjoyed doing that. And uh, Mike, Bonnie and I both and uh, both saw a need for a fun run in Devonport. So run Devonport, we've been doing for about 10 years. The low-key fun event where we encourage young people, you know, families, everybody. It's, it's, uh, it's very low-key, but it's a lot of fun. So we enjoy doing that. Um, I just like giving back a little bit, uh, putting some opportunities out there and uh, everyone sort of enjoys it. So, you know, it, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, great. And I, and I do remember it. I reckon it peaked about 98, 99, 2000, 2001. And I think it helped that we had Craig Walton about too. So he's a local. He was probably at the peak of his powers. And I think you guys got like 5,000 people watching, didn't you? Oh, look, it was huge. And look, back, you, know, you go back there, I think we have something, something like you know, $5,000 prize money back in the 90s for a triathlon. Huge. It, was, it was amazing. It, it was good. But, you know, things change in the corporate world and all those sorts of bits and pieces. So Mike's got a different focus now. It's one of the very best para-triathlons in the world where we get para-athletes from all around the world. But it was a lot of fun. Like you say, we had Craig Walton and also people like Craig Redman and uh, at that stage triathlon in uh, Tasmania. Susie Russell was one of the best female triathletes in the world in, in Australia at that period of time. So that all helped and uh, it, it was good, but it's, it's, yeah. it's a little bit different now. Yeah. And did you want to discuss when the Devonport triathlon actually moved to Hobart? Because this is really interesting. Did you? Yeah, well, what happened was uh, at, at one stage there, I guess uh, Royce Fairbrother and myself had been running it for a period of time. I was race director for a number of times. And then Kerry Stubbs, a good friend of ours, and uh, we know Stubbs, he, he's been a race promoter for a long time. There were some issues at this stage, and Kerry had taken over the, uh, the Devonport Triathlon, basically. It was basically Kerry's uh, business then. Kerry owned the product then. And there were some issues in and around Devonport and funding and um, all that type of stuff. And Kerry felt that you know, it could possibly be a better model uh, and be a better event in Hobart. As history shows, it didn't work in the end. And uh, it came back and um, yeah, it came back here. 
they, yeah. it was about funding. It was about uh, making sure we could attract the best triathletes in Australia and in the world. But the whole triathlon scene in Australia has changed dramatically. And uh, basically triathlon, to a certain extent, is a northern hemisphere sport. So all our top triathletes tend to peak and race at their best in our winter. So to get yeah. them to come to uh, compete at the highest level of Australia sort of no longer really exists. So yeah. my body's has done a good job in getting a different focus. Um, but the days then, we, we were getting the best triathletes in the world, certainly all the best triathletes in Australia, but it doesn't quite work like that anymore. But it's good to see it return. And uh, Mike, uh, Kerry Stubbs brought it back here. And now Mike Bonney's had it for about 10 years and done a good yeah. job. And, that, and that's the thing, like... Now triathlon is a job. You can do that as a job. So your Jake Burt whistles, like you said, they're not going to come back to Devonport to do that when they can be training or doing whatever they need to do to get ready for a major competition. Oh, yes, right. No, they got they got Olympics and World Championships. I think Jake, Jake probably does one triathlon or so a year in Australia. And it's the same with the other top guys. I mean, that's, as you say, it's their job, it's their career. So it just makes it a little bit different. I mean, the same in athletics now. We used to have IWF. You know, events in Australia, we had the Briggs meet in Hobart, but all of those now, are, yeah, it, it's a different era. I mean, I remember the Briggs meet, you probably remember the Briggs meets in Hobart, yes, yeah. the Trident Relays. So getting those top events back is, is very complex and very hard and very costly. Yeah. Uh, and it's just a different, uh, it's a different environment now. And so it just doesn't quite happen. You've travelled extensively over the years and your good mate, Dave Chettle, uh, I'm sure the listeners are well aware of Dave's achievements. Did you want to discuss just some of the travelling that you've done outside athletics, in athletics, and with your mate Dave? Well, athletics has been very good to me. Um, yeah, first of all, I, I mean, triathlon has been very good to me too because I was the, um, the manager of the age group team to you know world championships in places like Lausanne and Montreal and stuff through triathlon. But in athletics, I've had, had some really good Good, good opportunity. I've been to Rio for the Olympics there, and I was I've trained a couple of times in um, in America up in the mountains there in Arizona with Dion and that. But uh, I guess the best trips are that Dave and I have been to you know a number of world championships together. We've been to Daegu in South Korea. We went to Moscow uh, there, and uh, last year we went to Doha again. So we've had a lot of travelling right. together. As I say, two old two old athletes traveling together mate one elite world class the average yeah pretty average <laughs> but between the two of us we do have a lot of fun dave's a great man to travel with you know his knowledge of athletics is fantastic and he's easy to travel with we enjoy each other's company yeah um, and it's been great like at, at moscow there the, you know, dave was running into people that he raced against in his stellar career uh, and he, he did bump into them like hey <laughs> it's just uh, I learned something. I've been travelling with Dave for about fifteen years or so, and every now and then, you know, I just find these other amazing things out about that guy. I mean, he was just telling me I watch the footy every Friday night with Chet. We go down there to share share a six pack or a four pack <laughs> every Friday night. Yeah, nice. um, and he, just out of the blue, I don't know why we're talking about. It. I just mentioned something. He said, "Yeah, yeah I beat Phil Bayai in a race." This is the guy who won the 74 Christchurch Games. I think he had a silver medal at Moscow. Yeah. <laughs> 79, Dave raced him at 3,000 metres and I beat him head to head. And we sometimes forget just how good Dave was. Oh, he was uh, 
It was unbelievable. It was, it was one of the best in the 70s, wasn't he? Oh, yeah. I think he was ranked number two in the world at marathon at one stage. But the other days that they raced marathons, you know, two or three uh, a year, and then they'd back up four weeks later, if, you know, running a, a two-mile or a 5,000 or a 10,000. And it's only just recently, uh, only the last couple of years, that Stewie managed to beat his uh, Tasmanian 5,000, 10,000 metre record. But it took a Stuart McSwain to beat that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. And, and the, the most amazing thing of all about, uh, about Chet, mate, is that the people don't understand this. The 72 Olympics, Chet was still a basketballer. And your dad will probably tell you, he was a very good yeah. basketballer, Chet. And um, he was watching the Olympics on the TV in a window store in Devonport for <laughs> the running. Four years later, he was running the 76 marathon at the Olympics. Four years <laughs> later. Uh, that just blows your mind, thinking about yeah. that. Just turn that around from basketballer to an elite uh, world class, one of the very best in the world marathon runners in four years. <laughs> he must have an amazing engine on the basketball court, mate. Mm. I, well, he's not very tall, so I imagine he'd be like a guard or something. That's mm. Yeah. And dad I, and I tell you more about that. I never saw him play basketball. <laughs> no, well, Dad said he was bloody good. Like, um, he, I think I th- think he said his dad was better. Um, like that. No, I think Dad said that his brother was a little brother, bit yeah, better. Wayne. Yeah, but they could both play really good. So, yeah. no, it's amazing. Um, and 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 the thing about this also, uh, Brian, that he went to Europe and I went to London and lived there and raced all all across uh, Europe week in week out but also working 40 hours a week as a joiner, builder and joiner. And there were no days, you know, there's no, well, he had got a little bit of sponsors. one of the very first ever athletes get sponsored by Nike. Um, and, but uh, very little, you know, just a bit, bit of gear. But those days, you work 40 hours a week, you finished at 4.30 after banging up houses in London, then you'd go for your run after you'd done a morning run. He had a wife over there who was a very good athlete herself and a couple of kids. Uh, you know, it, it, it's an amazing sort of thing. No, nothing sort of lying around in bed all day, sort of recovering from the morning run. You run in the morning, you work yeah. eight hours on site, then you went for a run again. And it's still just those amazing times. And he's just so humble, mate. Yeah. Like, you've really, you've really got to milk all this information out of him. I, I reckon it's taken me 20 years to get yeah. some of the stuff that you've just told me yeah. now. Yeah. What do you think is some of your most memorable moments of travelling? I'll oh, certainly uh, yeah, go and watch and Dion win the uh, win a, a silver medal at the Rio Olympics, the Rio or Rio Paralympics. Uh, look, Rio was just a fabulous uh, experience. Uh, you know, we've been spent a year before the press tell us how dangerous, how violent, how you know, you got to be really careful in um, in Rio. Mate, it's the safest place I've probably ever been. Uh, I was there for nearly three weeks and. <laughs> out of the village for a period of time. And then I spent uh, two sets of five days down at Copacabana. And not once was I ever intimidated, worried. I'd be more worried walking down King Street here in Devonport, mate, than I would be in the main street. <laughs> so that, and the, the Brazilian people were wonderful. And we're at the stadium there and, uh, uh, Dion's parents were there and his sister and myself and whatnot and, we'll, and the whole section somehow they got to know Dion's mum Chaz pretty well <laughs> yeah. and this whole section when Dion was running was chanting Dion Dion <laughs> and awesome. they just went absolutely yeah. crazy when he won a silver medal 
And then at the end when he came up there, I reckon there was a line of, you know, 30, 40, 50 little kids wanting to get his autograph. That's uh, so, uh, that's so good. a really humble experience for Dion. He was so good with the young kids, as you can imagine. And that was a really uh, a, a wonderful experience. Uh, yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. Some great, uh, what's what I'm trying to say, uh, reward for such hard work as well. No, look, yeah, we, we, we know Dion put a lot, a lot of work in it and, uh, you know, it, it comes both ways. I mean, I get a lot of reward out of it, a lot of enjoyment out of it. Uh, it's, it's a fantastic feeling uh, when, when athletes run well. I mean, uh, it, it comes down to the amount of work there, but you know that you, you feel that you like to think that you've been part of that, 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 that progression. Um, yeah, so it, 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 it was a lot of fun there. Yeah, great. Um, Oh, I mean, I, you know, like you, Lines, I can watch athletics all day, every day, and you know, some of the stuff there. Watching Sally Pearson win the, um, it was in Moscow after a comeback, and she won the gold medal there. It was just, just an amazing uh, experience watching Sally uh, win there, the four, uh, 100 meter hurdles. Just uh, we thought she was gone, and just a great run. She ran, it was a 12.28, just the fastest time ever. That was good. Yeah. Uh, one, of the, one of the great experiences was once again, I'm pretty sure it was Moscow World Championships uh, when, when um, uh, oh God, my brain's gone dead. Um, our sprinter, the you saying got disqualified and his humbleness when he got disqualified at the start there broke in the final and just accepted it, it was really good. But more than that, later on there, they won the 4 by 100 in a world record time. And all the crowd were around him, all the photographers, everyone's going off. Oh, we up there. But he noticed then that there was a, a medal ceremony. And it might have been a Bulgarian woman, win, I think she'd won the shot put. And he stopped everybody, told them all to get down. And they all stood there absolutely silent. Uh, Usain had them under control. And I thought just to respect it. You know, okay, That's I've just done this, but that person there deserves their respect. It's a medal ceremony. He stopped everybody. While that whole ceremony took place, and soon it was over, he was up and it continued. And to me, seeing that humbleness of that guy and the fact that he was prepared to acknowledge that, yep, I've just won a gold medal, but that person has, if their presentation they will be quiet. That's good. Yeah. Oh, and that's what great athletes do. It's like a Roger Federer. You watch him play and he's the same. Just very humble. And, yeah, just a great athlete to watch. We were uh, in Moscow. Chet and I were – we had a bus coming out from the, where we were staying and everything. We were sharing the bus with the Jamaicans. Oh, <laughs> the Jamaican uh, – yeah, the Jamaican supporters. <laughs> oh, fantastic. <laughs> that was so good. But they run on Jamaican time, mate, so that just means – the bus will go when they get there. The bus will yeah, right. when they turn up. No such thing. <laughs> We're going at nine o'clock or whatever. <laughs> it was so funny. They were such good people. For some reason, it was just Chet and I and a whole busload of Jamaicans. Right. Uh, that was so much fun to, to hang with. Uh, they were really good. And they uh, knew all those people there. So that, that was fun. But, uh, oh, it's so good. You couldn't get you couldn't get grumpy. Oh, gee, I want to get home and get to bed because it just happens. They just roll along when they're ready. They'll get on when they're ready. We'll take off. <laughs> Sounds like island life, mate. <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. They're good people. Um, have you been to an Olympic games? Have you been able to watch? No, one of those? I haven't been to an Olympic games. Um, yeah, and I got no great desire to go there because I think um, yeah, I mean it's very very hard as you know to get tickets for an Olympic games. 
Uh, I, I know the parents of athletes sometimes can't get tickets to the Olympic Games uh, to watch their son or their daughter. It's just totally complex. It's a, it's raffle. Or, you know, I mean, they, they do that sort of um, yeah, situation where you put your, put your name in, but you, you might get ping pong. Well, it's, you, the World Championships are fantastic. You, you, you can go to every single session. And, and Chet and I never miss a session. We go to every morning session, every night session. And what you pay for that is about what you pay for one decent seat for one night at the Olympics. The competition yeah. is just as good. It's just as uh, fantastic. And in many ways, I think it's at the World Championships, you actually get people who love and understand athletics. Whereas the Olympics, I expect you get a lot of spectators who don't probably understand athletics. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. But I, you know, you look at, you just, um, if I go to the World Championship, I'd want to see every single event, every single hop, every single jump, every single throw, every single run. Yeah. And, uh, that's why I wanted. And um, World Championships are just fantastic. It's, it is a lot of fun. You meet a yeah. lot of really good people from all around the world, no matter who you sit next to. They're knowledgeable people. They're good people. You know, one day it would be the Polish guys, and the next day it would be the Yugoslavians. The day after that, it would be the crazy Kenyans or something. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the people that go to the World Championships are just beautiful people, a lot of fun, and you, you really do enjoy. And uh, it's, just, it's just awesome. Yeah. The next ones are in Eugene. They're supposed to be next year, but they're in Eugene in the year after, so 2022 now. Yeah. Which could be good because, strangely enough, Kate Chettle, Dave's daughter, and Dave's son and daughter, Michael, and his daughter, Kate, were both very good runners and went to university in America. But Kate is now working as an engineer for Nike. And, oh, uh, no way. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. She's worked as an engineer there and she looks wow. after the foam in shoes. In the, yeah, in the wow. shoes. So, uh, that'll be good. So, and she's in Portland, and uh, mm. which is just up the way from Eugene, where the, the 2022 World Champs will be. Go, oh. Lions. You'd love it. You'd love it, mate. Yeah. No, I've been to an Olympics, 2000. Um, yep. It was awesome. But like you said, there were some very, not very knowledgeable people, let's just say. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was fantastic. It was a, it was a memory that I'll, that I'll never forget. But, but like you said, I'd love to go to World Champs. Yeah. yeah. I'd, I'd recommend it. And the year after that, so it would be 2025, I think, if they're going to be in Bulgaria, I think, Sofia or... Wow. Somewhere like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think America probably interests me more because I've been there once, and I love just the culture. Yep. It's just awesome. Yeah. Uh, so you've you've travelled lots. You've coached. You've ran. You've done event management. Yep. And now, how did you get into the athletics Tasmania presidential role and the TAL president as well? Is that correct? No, not TAL president. A scat. Scat, okay. Okay, two things there. One with scat is that the, the uh, for those who may not listening might understand, that's the Sports Carnivals Association of Tasmania. Look, about I, I love the carnivals. I really, really love the carnivals. I think they're fantastic. You've run there many, many times, Brian, and uh, we do enjoy them. I think about 10 years ago, they were on the skids a bit, and everyone said, oh, they're all over, they're all gone. There were a lot of problems with them. Uh, but someone approached me and asked me would I be interested in helping out. And I said, yeah, I would. And I've worked pretty hard for the last eight or nine years uh, with some good help from people like uh, Rich, Richard Welsh is working with us well now and other, other different people, Johnny Craven from Melbourne. And I, I would hate to see the carnivals die. 
Uh, the clubs are enthusiastic, but they just need a bit of a rebound. Um, I mean, you've got to think about the, the, I think the Bernie card was coming up to near enough in the next couple of years, it's 140th edition. I mean, that is amazing. Mm-hmm. The history of the Bernie Carnival, the Trobe Carnival, Devonport Carnival. I just think there's something unique, uh, basically, in the world. Uh, there's a little bit of like it in Victoria, but that little concept there, uh, Victoria, it's basically just running. Where we have the running, the wood chopping, and the cycling. It's just, it's just something fantastic. If we lost it, we would never recover it. And so I had a passion there to try and do what I could to, to keep those carnivals going. I'm going to wrap up this year. I've had a long term. Someone's going to take over. But um, it's been a good journey. And I think for, for, for the, it, it, I, I, it's just a lot of fun for athletes. We don't take it any more than that. But it's great. And some of the young athletes in Tasmania, you know, they can go there and win enough prize money to pay for them to go to the Australian Championships or something like that or whatever. But it's it just, I think you love them. I love them. I don't yeah. want them to go. So that's been one and the Athletics Tasmania one, uh, I, I, I blame Brian Rowe for that. <laughs> Rowie made me do it. <laughs> it was just in a transition. Brian Rowe, for those who are watching, Brian Rowe is one of the highest um, technical uh, technical uh, people in the IWF in the world. Uh, if the Olympics are on this year, he's going to be uh, the start referee. So that's where Brian Rowe is. He writes the IWF. IWF or World Athletics is his now rule book every year. It's his thing, he knows it. So he'd been president and executive office for about 15 years and he, he, he knew it's time to change, but he couldn't convince anybody else to be bold. So I said, look, I'll do it for three years. Yeah. And we're in a period of change where we changed the constitution, the structure and everything. So I went through that and then Shelley took over and uh, I did a three year stint. That was enough. But just yeah. to help Brian out, help Athletics Tasmania out because I've got a passion for athletics. And uh, they were in a bit of a sticky spot, so I just did that for three years, and it was a lot of fun. Once again, I really enjoyed it. But my passion is always coaching, and, and sometimes I got to be careful. I don't do too many other things that impact on my coaching. That's what I want to do, and I'm going to wind down over the next few years, uh, move on from SCAT, and, uh, and and really try and just put all my energies for the next ten years uh, to continue coaching. I've got a really, really good little squad at the moment of of, of young athletes with. People like Eve Burl, Lockie Bonnie, Maxie Green, even uh, Aaron Humphreys. Mate, Humphreys run the best in his life at the moment there. Um, so, you know, and Nicole's still running really quite well. Gus Tomlinson-Smith, Thomas Wilson's up here now. So I've got a nice little squad there and some few young, younger ones, like 15, 16-year-olds coming over. So, you know, I really want to put, put some passion into there. Um, Great. I've done my fair share of sort of administrative type work, so I, I should just try and focus on coaching lines here. Yeah, but like you said, um, the sport needs passionate people when you came in at the right time to make sure the carnivals wouldn't fold. Uh, like you said, they needed someone to be the president at the time. You're the perfect man for the job, if you ask me, because you're a very approachable person. You need, like, you need a people person in that sort of role. So... <laughs> Yeah, because you're dealing with a lot of different people and a lot of different agendas and uh, you, uh, you've got to try and bring everybody onto the same page and say, well, this is where we're going. And, you know, you know, there are a lot of good people in the clubs there. They all work very, very hard. Some are a bit hard to change and we had to come into the future a little bit and someone needed their arms twisted a little bit. But generally, it's, it's gone pretty well. And I think they're in a good spot there. If COVID doesn't muck it up too much, um, I think that they're still there for a long period of time. 
Tasmanian government are wonderful in the support that they give the carnivals, but we've got to make sure that's taxpayers' money is well spent. And yeah. uh, so oh, I think there's a future for them. We've got some really passionate people in the, in, in the, in, in the clubs and uh, I'm really confident they'll continue to, to go ahead. Yeah, and that was my next question, mate. Actually, where do you see, first of all, athletics heading in the future? In domestic, um, national, well, domestic Tasmanian, so local, yep. national, then international. I think we've got to uh, we've got to change it up a little bit. The same old, same old won't work anymore. And um, your, your Saturday afternoon three-hour interclub at Penguin, for instance, is is, is probably on its last leg. So last last year at Penguin, after summer, we ran most of our interclubs on a Thursday night. Now that seemed to be a much better model, and uh, we might introduce and do more of that. So I think the ability to 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 uh, to get the to make the, uh, the the events a little bit shorter uh, on the Thursday night it was good. We could start at six thirty under the lights there, the beautiful track there by the, the Central Coast Council look after us for us, and we could wrap that up six thirty to eight thirty. Uh, events go quickly, activity, and then that frees the people up for for their weekends. I think asking parents and uh, athletes these days to come out Saturday afternoon, your whole whole Saturday's gone. So I think we've got to try and do things and get out of the old model of Saturday afternoon for three hours with half an hour between every event. It's just got to be a bit quicker, a bit faster, and a lot more events that engage people. It's like we've always had a pretty good model at Penguin, lots of relays and lots of people getting involved in that type of stuff there. So we've got to move a little bit with it. Uh, you know, there's a lot of competition out there with mountain biking and skateboarding and rock climbing and all those other sorts of things. And athletics is still a very, uh, very typically standard older sort of model that thing. But there's, if you still run it correctly and make kids have fun and enjoy it and make it a social event, there's still enough young athletes out there keen to do it. Yeah. Athletics in Australia, I think it still suffers a bit from the, the same models we talked about earlier with triathlon. We need to bring back, we, we've got to see our top athletes if possible racing in Australia. Uh, we've got to see the Ryan Gregsons and all those types of people, the Stewie McSwains. We don't see enough of them racing in Australia. The days when we used to have all these sort of, you know, the Sydney Classic and the Brisbane, all those types of events, they're still there, but not as structured as they used to be. And I'd like to see more events that bring the elite athletes from Australia and overseas there. And look, we might see a bit more of that, but I, we've got to do that. We've got to sell, got to sell the, the sport to the spectators and the entertainers. And so therefore, it's got to be short, sharp, quick, fast. Yeah, exactly. That's a good... I think there's enough kids out there. And the other one is, of course, as always in all sports, we've got to make sure we've got enough officials and enough coaches. Uh, I'm pleased that you're coaching our lines because we need more coaches on the northwest yeah. coast here, mate. Uh, we know that, and yeah. you've got people have got passion, and we'll, we'll do it. So, all sports are, uh, are going through a pretty tough time at the moment, but I think there's always. I mean, I still believe, and I might be naive, but athletics. You talk about the Olympics earlier on. Athletics is the core event of the, the Olympics. If you ask me, uh, that's how I see it. Take the take athletics out of the Olympics, and it'd be a poorer for for it. So I still think there's enough if we there's enough kids who want to do athletics, but we just got to package it a little bit differently. Yeah, great. And I think another thing, well this is what happened to me personally, I think that gap between a junior 
and senior rank, it's really hard to cross. Uh, yep. If you're stuck in that middle range, and this is where you'll get runners who will leave the sport or stay in the sport. So I'm not sure a way around that, but it's a very patient sport, isn't it, running? So Absolutely, yeah, and that's right. And there are some little ways around, and like Athletics Australia now on their standards for the Australian Championships, so they have an under-23 um, standard that you can get in. So you know, it might be the open one, 800 and 150 for everybody. But under-23, it might be a 152 or something. So they are giving them that opportunity. But you're right, uh, they've got to, got to try. The drop-off rate we know is really, 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 really poor. And we've got to find some sort of more. And one of the things they're doing that is, is try not to to make our sport elitist all the time. So it's really good when you go to Hobart into club down there for they've got all the masters running down there and they've got all sorts of other people. So we don't want to see our interclubs and think that competition for athletics is only for the elite. Competition, you know, if we have 3,000 or say 5,000 metres at the track at Penguin, I've got no issue if someone comes up there and, you know, they, they run 30 minutes. And we've yeah. always got to encourage those sorts of we don't all want all 15-minute runners there. Yeah, look, yeah, there's a place for someone to come and run 30 minutes. And your best yeah, before that was 31 minutes. You come up and run 30 minutes. Fantastic. That should be celebrated. So trying to make sure that uh, it's not seen as an elitist type sport. You've got to be good only to go to interclub and race on the athletics track. Yeah. Not anybody. We see the numbers that go down to park run every day. Just huge numbers. Yeah. So in an environment where there's no sort of... Um, environment down for park run is amazing because it, it's just a really good environment there's no pressure to run fast just enjoy do what you want to do have fun we should have some of those people come to the club we'll come and do some track running do 100 meters 200 meters there in the same sort of environment that park run is no stress no pressure just enjoy it yeah and that's yeah. yeah exactly and, and that's what it should be about i was just only recently talking to tim crosby the yeah, hi, tim. Yeah, and, and he was saying that they're actually working with Park Run right now and, and trying to filter some of those people to athletics, which would be great if that can happen. Yeah, and yeah, you know, and, and just do the both there. But they've got to come along. You don't want someone who comes along. He's he's a thirty minute runner. He might be fifty years old and runs thirty minutes. You don't yeah. want to throw him in a race with six, you know, fifteen minute guys. Yeah, that's just going to embarrass. So we yeah. got to go and make sure that the, the setup's there so they feel comfortable doing that. Exactly. And what I wanted to know, and well, this is something that I'd love to get involved in, is do you see the Northwest Coast actually having an amateur cross-country event again? Look, it's one of those things. I, um, I, I ran it about four, no, probably about 10 years ago. It's the last time we had one, maybe eight years ago. Um, you know, something that Grant Penny and I were, were thinking about doing this year again, re, re, reinvestigating it. Um, I mean, I would love to do it, uh, and Grant's really keen, keen to help. COVID stopped us this year, but we'd planned to run six this year for the first time for a long time. We've got all the infrastructure and all the equipment and gear at, at, at Penguin, so we can do it in that, that respect. Um, we might try and do it again next year. Just need uh, a few more officials, a few more helpers. I'm sure you'd be only too happy to help, Lindsay. Well, I would love to help because yeah. I remember it way back when I was a junior. Yeah. I, and I, and I used to love it. Like, I think we went to Penguin and Alveston and... Port Terrell and a whole variety of other places. Yep, yep. We're so lucky. Well, 
like you said earlier on in this conversation, we have just so many great areas that we could use. Yeah. yeah. No, it's a good point. And like I say, Grant and I had every intention of running six this year. And we'd actually scouted out our places where we're going to do it. And we wanted to be pure cross country. And my definition of cross country, if you want to, you can wear spikes the whole way. Yeah, good. Uh, and that's that's what I want to do. I mean, uh, we, we've lost that feel for running cross country. And uh, you can put on a pair of uh, cross country spikes and away you go. No bitumen, no concrete, no a little bit of gravel won't hurt your spikes, but uh, and then we we had six different venues where you could do that. Yeah, uh, it, it, cross country running, pure cross country running with a few creeks in it and some muddy holes and stuff like that is wonderful. Uh, yeah. it's, it's a really good uh, activity. Mate, I'll, I'll do everything in my power. If you get it up and running, I'll do everything in my power on this podcast and my pages to get people to come along. Hi. Okay, mate. Well, uh, I'll, I'll just remind Grant that he's uh, he offered it this year and he's got to do it again next year. And so we'll, we'll have a look at that. Remind me uh, over summer and yeah, cool. uh, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll get it going. I'm, I'm happy to do it. Yeah. We'll start off with six to eight. <laughs> Not <laughs> every week. <laughs> Sounds really good. And so you've, you've done the coaching, <laughs> the event management, the athlete uh, and many other things. What's one piece of advice that you would give a newbie runner or even a runner who's been around a long time? Oh, look, the runner who's a newbie runner is that, look, you've got to be patient. Um, you know, athletics is something you just, if you, particularly most of the new runners tend to be, uh, you know, like pretty the old ones particularly, want to do a little bit of endurance, maybe run a 5 or 10K. Look, patience is there and you've got to do it. If, you know, you know lines, if you go too hard too early, you're going to get injured. And they get injured and they don't return. So patience is there. If you do the work, it will happen. But you've got to do it sensibly. And probably the other bit, if, you, uh, if I can do two bits there, is uh, mix up your training. Uh, you know, I'm, one of your questions you, you were talking about earlier was, you know, who do I, I model myself on? Probably Kevin Pendergrass. I don't know if you never remember Kevin Pendergrass. Oh, no, no, no. But, yeah, yeah. He was a coach in Hobart, a very intelligent guy, a professor of mathematics and whatever. But his claim to fame is that basically he coached Brendan Hannigan and uh, Brendan ran a 140.05.03 for 800 and went to Commonwealth Games and World Championships. And uh, he was a great athlete, Brendan. But Brendan's model was very much a, um, uh, a low volume, high intensity. And I've always followed that model very much. Uh, I'm a great hater of junk kilometres and uh, people, which is what I did most of my career, junk kilometres. <laughs> uh, so... And I think for enjoyment's sake, it's mix it up a little bit. Don't be afraid to do some reps, do some hill reps, do some sharp, faster work there. Yeah. Going out every day and doing five or six kilometres easy or something is a waste of time. So talk to somebody like you or me or whoever and get some advice how to structure your week there. And, um, and you can do it. But be patient. Uh, don't go overboard. Be patient. And if you do that, you do the work and you're patient, the, the results will come. Yeah, and I, mate, I owe you a lot because I was really lucky when I first came to you. You taught me all this stuff, and yeah. you, you held me back. And I remember the word you're saying: you've got to be patient. This is a patient person sport. Uh, and I will slowly build you up. Um, and it's just stay with me, mate. And and like you said, do the heels. Don't be afraid to change your sessions up. And and, and that's what made the training well what I really enjoyed about the training that you used to do anyway. I went lots of places, like you know, the Sawdust Hills and the, the Bluff and the Meercroft. And 
make the environment, uh, vary the environment, vary the training. It's got to be enjoyable. And sometimes, I mean, I could say to me, I just try and each week do something different. It might be this, basically the same sort of outcome, but it's different. And athletes like doing different things. They, they don't like doing the same set week in, week out. So you've got to vary it a little bit there. And, yeah. and you're right, you and I both know probably half a dozen young male, female athletes who probably wanted to be running marathons at the age of 19, 20, and by 21, they burnt out and gone. Had yeah. they been patient, and just slowly built build up over a period of time. They could have been, uh, could have been there, uh, there. Yep. Yeah, and that's it. But you had that insight, and as a as as an athlete, you want that from a coach to say to you, "Nah, put the reins back, mate, and 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 just enjoy it." So, yeah. yeah. And you did touch on some role models. Huh? Uh, and you touched on one of your role models, Kevin Pendergrass. Yep. Who else do you, do you really look up to? Oh, look, from a coaching point of view, being in, in Devonport here, you, you really didn't get a, a experience, a lot of experience uh, with that. But um, I became very close friends with Peter Fortune uh, when he was here, you know, going 10, 12 years back. So over the last 10 years, I had a, a few variations of what I do and, and Fort was pretty funny to work with. I, I enjoyed Fort. But also guys like Bruce Scriven from Geelong, I think, you know, Mottram and stuff like that. I've had a little bit of relationship with him. But in Devonport, uh, you know, you, you, it's pretty hard. Uh, there's not, not a lot of other coaches around you. So basically, I, I reckon you just... Kevin wrote a really good book. And I used to talk to him and uh, sort of try and follow that model. Uh, and probably Ford had a fair bit, bit of influence on me, particularly my 400, 800 metre type runners. Uh, Ford's been a really good influence there. Not a bad coach for it. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, so those two guys have, have had a really sort of a a, a, a good on you know, impact on me. Yeah, cool. And did you want to explain actually put Peter Fortune, one of his most famous athletes? Uh, well, I think uh, Kathy Freeman ran all right, didn't she? Yeah. Yeah. So for anyone listening, that's uh, Kathy Freeman. Uh, coach. And, and he's uh, awesome Oh, yeah, like he's a great guy, Fort. Uh, it was a lot of fun here. He was head coach of TIC here for about eight or nine, ten years. And so I had a lot of, spent a lot of time with him. Uh, we, we, a couple of old guys, enjoyed, enjoyed his company. And he's a, he's a really nice, very approachable guy, very easy guy. And I still got contact with him. So it's, it's nice to see Fort. Yeah. I know you're a busy man, so I won't keep you much to, uh, too much longer. All right. But... I, I wanted to discuss a pretty funny story. It was when the Queenslanders came down for a cross-country championships. Did you want to... Uh, oh, is that the one up there when Wellesley was running? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, we, we rocked up out there. And Wellesley was a pretty good runner then. He's running against guys like Grant Kremer and whatnot. I mean, there's some pretty hot guys. And, uh, and Wellesley wasn't the greatest cross-country runner, but he's pretty good. But it was uh, Simmons Plains, the Australian cross-country championships. And we got there... And it was just every puddle was just ice everywhere. It was just bitterly cold with a massively cold southerly wind blowing. It was about yeah, probably about zero degrees, but it felt like about minus twenty. And yeah. uh, and I said to Wellesley, I said, look, just you know the guys from Queensland, knew a few of them could race against them. I said, just walk up there in your shorts and singlet, nothing else, and say, you want to warm up, boys? <laughs> Good day for racing. So Wellesley goes over there and he's just got his shorts on, a little tiny little singlet. Knocked on the door, the uh, Queensland boys buses. Come on, boys, you got to warm up with me? Come on, Kremlin, whatever it was. <laughs> they would not get out. 
just would not get out of the bus. They just refused to warm up. And uh, it was pretty funny. I just just go and psych them out. Tell them it was a great day for running in Tassie. Oh. Pretty funny. And Wilsie ran really well that day, actually. Yeah. Oh, they brought him tough down here. Yeah, absolutely, mate. <laughs> uh, so, so closing out on today, what are some values that you try and live by in your life? Oh, the ones that are from an athletics point of view. I mean, to, to me, uh, look, there's probably a couple. We already mentioned it, patience, but it, it's loyalty. Uh, you know, if you go to a coach, then you, you've got to you know, commit to that coach and you, you've got to have that trust in that coach. I've got no issue with athletes eventually sort of saying, okay, look, I'd rather go somewhere else now. That's fine. But uh, I think it's a two-way street. You've got to be loyal to them and give them everything. No point being half a coach. You've got to be 100% coach. You've got to give them everything. Uh, you know, be prepared to do that. Uh, or And the other way is I really expect from them loyalty. So, you know, doing what I instruct them to do, to be there on time, to, to train as, as, as they're supposed to train. So that loyalty is, is, a, is a really important thing. If that's a two-way thing, and, and, and I've been very lucky, you know, in, in the mainstream, all my athletes have, have been really loyal people and have sort of stuck with me through, you know, good times and bad times. And um, that's what I like to see. No point trying to coach an athlete if that athlete hasn't got total trust in you. Yep. But at the same time, there's a, 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 a commitment from the coach to be you know, really upfront and explain to the athletes why they're training. You know, sometimes you get these coaches that athletes say, why are we doing this? And don't, don't, don't question me, just do it. Well, that's silly. I mean, I'll, I'm always, if, if I can't explain to an athlete or to them why we're doing this training session, uh, then I'm not a very good coach because there's got to be some understanding. You know, today we're doing this and I'm got to be able to, be well prepared and be able to explain to the other, I'm doing this because this, 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 and this. And they'll understand that and that they've got to understand it and accept that. So that loyalty is probably the most, uh, to me, is probably the, the one that I like. And same with when, when they race and stuff like that. There's that loyalty, that commitment, do this and, and have that trust. Yeah. Without trust and loyalty, it won't work. Perfect answers. Yeah. And you, oh, and you did such a good job with me. You did your job. We'd ask questions. Mm. and. What you taught me now is stay with me and it, and it will and I'll pass that beacon on to someone else. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah you, and you've got to prepare well. So coaches have to prepare well. And then you, you're, you're starting on that pathway now and you know how much it takes to prepare, uh, put your programs together and they've got to be long term and you've got to work week in, week out, month in, month out and understand. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing and not one program will work for everyone as well. Oh. Did you want to touch on that a little bit before we go? Oh, that's right. I mean, it, it really is. It's a, a very personalised sort of a situation. You know, I mean, I've got, you know, I've got an 800 metre squad at the moment there. Well, some of those are 400, 800 metre runners. The others are 800, 1500 metre runners, but they all want to run 800. So someone who's got good leg speed, uh, but not so aerobically uh, inclined, so that they will probably run a 4-8 program. So people like you know, my squad at the moment, you know, you know Gus Thomason-Smith and Angus and Nicole and uh, Maxie Green. Uh, and Lockie Bonnie are very much 4-8 runners. But then you'll get another group who are 8-15. So you can't take them down there and oh, you're all 800 metre runners. You'll do the same program. won't work. No. They've got to do different programs. And, uh, and athletes who come in, like uh, someone who just joined our squad who's a good 800 metre runner. But you've got someone who's like Nicole who's got, say, 17 years of training behind her. Uh, others just 
know, only got one or two years training behind, they can't do the same program. So you've just got to be make sure that your programs suit the different athletes there. If you put a, someone with a, someone who's been training for 10 years and you personally, they'll just break down within weeks. So it's got to be personalised and those people got to understand, okay, you've done enough tonight, but for you, you've got more to do. Same athlete, but hey, that person's got 10 years experience. Your training age is one, their training age is 10. So you've, you've just got to do that. And uh, it's, it's the way it is, and you really got to be aware of that. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Mick Gunson. Thank you. Thanks, mate. <laughs> okay. See you, buddy. Let's enjoy the morning. Okay, mate. All right. Awesome. See you, mate. Catch, catch you. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Mick Gunson. I would like to wish Mick all the best in his future coaching and the current crop of runners that he has. It's a really, really talented bunch and I think those runners will go a long way in the sport of athletics. If you did enjoy this podcast, please reach out to Mick. I know that he would enjoy that. Okay, also, Everyday Lions has eight-week 12-week, 16-week and yearly programs available at very affordable prices. And we also have visors for only $25. These are available in white and black. Ladies and gentlemen, I've been your host, Brian Lyons, and this is the Everyday Lions podcast. Happy running.